following message is from the North Shore Christian Center MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Center is available at www.nscc.org.au. I'm going to continue on the series that I started last week on making life better. How many of you want your life to be better? How many want your life to be worse? Nobody. Okay, well, that's good. So uh, I'm glad that you're here wanting to know how to make life better. And last week I spoke about making life better by the power of change. This week I want to talk to you about making life better through the power of decisions. You are where you are today because of the decisions you have made. It was uh, Albert Camus that said, life is the sum of all your choices. If you like where you are right now, it's probably because you've made some good decisions. Alternatively, if you don't like where you are right now, it's probably because you've made some bad decisions. But if you don't like where you are, there is hope. And the hope that I want to give you is that you have the power to make your life better by simply making some God decisions. And I'm going to share with you this morning my personal secret, a secret that I have been personally advocating to all of my adult life and ever since I was a teenager. And that personal decision, that secret that I've found was this, decisions become easier when you choose to please God rather than pleasing yourself. When your choice to please God is stronger than your choice to please yourself. And I want to just say to you that in order to make life better, you've got to make a decision. And the decision is, am I willing to take the risk of making God-honoring decisions? And I want to say to you that every single one of you are under pressure right now. There's pressure. Every single one of you. I don't think there's one person here that's not under pressure. And you're pressurized by people wanting you to do it their way. And there's always someone putting pressure on you do it this way and do it that way and do it my way and follow after me. But I want to say to you that the only way that you can make life better is just to stop and hear the voice of God. And he will say to you, this is the way, walk you in it. And if you make a decision that aligns itself with the will of God, your life will get better. I wish everyone in Australia could hear this message. So I, I want to open it up, the scriptures this morning, showing how life became better for some Macedonians. In Acts chapter 16, let's read verses 25 to 34. Fantastic passage of scripture that I just love. I love the story. And uh, this is what it says in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. It's about life becoming better for some Macedonians. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. How great thou art, holy, 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 
Amazing Grace. They were singing it a la Dan Thornton. And, uh, and the prisoners were listening to them, as you would when someone beaten up is singing in a prison house. They were used to people cursing. They were used to people swearing. They weren't used to people singing hymns in the prison house. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. I love this story. I first heard it in Sunday school when I was a a little kid, and I've memorized when I was a little kid that those those words, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the response was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. I memorized that as a little kid in Sunday school, maybe 45 years ago. The story still impacts me, because it's the story of life becoming better for people. It starts with the Apostle Paul. It starts with the story of Paul and how life became better for him. The whole story of Paul, really, his Christian journey starts in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, what we see is Saul a religious leader that wanted to please God. And so he set about doing his best to please God. And there's lots of people today that are wanting to please God and doing their best to please God. And the way that he thought that he was pleasing God was to kill Christians. And so Paul, Saul back then, went about persecuting, killing Christians. And then all of a sudden, this one day, on the road to Damascus, the Damascus Road experience. We've coined it as a phrase today. I had a Damascus Road experience. Well, this was based on what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, when on his way to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. And this good religious man realized that he was offending God. Can I say to you that the step one in making life better is getting a realization of what your relationship is like with God in reality. See, a lot of people think they've got a good relationship with God. I believe in God. How many times have you heard that? Well, I got news for you. So does the devil. So that 
really gets you on the same level as the devil because he believes in God. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, but, 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 but I go further than that. I love God. Really? You love God? Well, the Bible tells me that you can't love God unless you obey him. Well, anybody can say, I love God, but do you obey him? Do you really obey him? Because love and obedience are connected, they're joined, they're Siamese twins, they're inseparable. You can't say, I love God without obeying him. And so here's, here's, here's Saul, this man who not only believed in God, but thought he was good. He thought that he was pleasing God until one day he gets this realization that in actual fact he was offending God. And he gets this word from heaven saying, why are you persecuting me? What a shock. What a shock to this religious man who thought that he was pleasing God to discover that he was actually persecuting God, that he was actually being offensive to God. He had no idea that he was in actual fact a stench in the nostrils of God that he was persecuting God, he was offending God, he's thinking he's pleasing God, and yet he's offending God. Realization. May God give people a realization of where they are truly at, because I really believe that there's a spirit in this world beguiling people into a false sense of security, not realizing where they're at, not realizing that they're offending God, not realizing that what they are doing is causing God to feel offended. And then once he got the realization that he was offending God, something happened on the inside of him. He realized, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this position of offending God. And he begins to ask this question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he moves in his journey to a revelation. A revelation of Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to be obedient to you. And he starts this journey. And, and I love when he explains it later on to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 16. He he. It, it, Acts chapter 9 doesn't give us the full story. We get the other part of the story in Acts 26 when Jesus actually gives him a revelation of what his future was going to look like. And Jesus speaks to him in verse 16 and says, of chapter 26 of Acts, and says, But rise, stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. All of a sudden, Paul gets a revelation of God's purposes for his life. 
He gets a revelation of the call of God. He sees something. He realizes where he's at, but he gets a revelation of where he needs to be. Oh, what a beautiful thing it is, not only to realize I'm away from God, but to get a revelation of what it means to be in God's presence, to be in God's will. Now, I don't believe for one minute that God wants to convict us of sin just to make us feel bad. God wants to convict us so that he can reveal to us what the alternative is, what the better life is, to get a revelation of what it's like to pursue the things of God. I want to say something incredibly profound that is so profound that too many people miss it. But it's profound enough for even little kids to understand it because it's profoundly simple. Can I, can I just say to you probably one of the most profound things that you will ever hear? And that is this, that what our lives is, is only an introduction. This is not the main deal. Don't give it the 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 stress of it being all that there is this is just an introduction see we were born to live with god forever and ever and ever eternity is the real deal this is just the introduction to that so don't put all your stress and all your efforts into that here's the jailer over one little incident, wanting to kill himself, wanting to end his life, wanting to commit suicide. And Paul is saying, whoa, what in the world? we got one little mistake happening here. It's not the end of the world. Understand that there's purpose in life. And can I just say to you that in the introduction, there's only two things that you need to do. In this life, the introduction, there's only two things. How many of you want to know what those two things are? It's very simple. Number one is discover Jesus. How many of you have discovered Jesus? Well, you've ticked that one off. If you haven't discovered Jesus before you leave today, please make sure you tick that one off. And the second thing that we're here to do is to fulfill the purposes of God in our lives. That's all. Not my will, but your will be done. Write that down somewhere. Just not my will, but your will be done. Because once you've discovered Jesus, that's it. That's all that there is. That's all that there is. That's your job description. Discover Jesus and then fulfill God's will for your life. And if you can do that, then you've succeeded in the introduction. Oh, come on. Is anybody, is anybody getting this this morning? Nah, you know, well, well, I want some deep teaching, Pastor John. It don't get deeper than this. This is as deep as it gets because I'm communicating to you the whole deal of what life is about in just two sentences. Discover Jesus and discover his purpose in your life. And that's exactly what Paul discovered on the Damascus Road. He discovered Jesus and then quickly went to the said, What is it that you want me to do? And Jesus said, Okay, let me give you a vision of what I want you to do. You're going to be a minister. You're going to open people's eyes to see the reality of truth. You're going to be persecuted, but I'm going to deliver you. We're doing a journey together, Paul. Come on. And then he went to step three. 
after realization, revelation, then my friends, you've got to go to step three. And who can tell me what step three is? Reorganization. You've got to reorganize your life. And that's exactly what Paul did. He says, okay, I was going, I was going to persecute, but now I've got to do something else. I'm doing a U-turn. I'm turning it around. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow the will of God for my life. What's the will of God? Well, go to Damascus and then it will be told to you what you need to do. And so he goes to Damascus, sits in a house for three days. God knocks on a disciple called Ananias, who, 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 who God says, go and, and you'll find the, the, this, this persecutor of the church, but he's changed. What? Yeah, he's changed. Go and share with him, baptize him, pray for him, release him, because he has chosen to do amazing things for me. So he's, he's poor, waiting three days in total darkness for step two. All he got was step one. Go to Damascus and you'll find out what to do. How many of you get frustrated when God only gives you step one and not step two? Is anybody else like that? Huh? How many of you hate it when all God says is go somewhere and you go somewhere and you sit in darkness for ages? Because that's exactly what happened to Saul. He went to Damascus and for three days sat in the dark. But he didn't get frustrated because he knew that's what God wanted him to do. And after three days of sitting in the dark, there's a knock on the door. Who is it? Someone's been sent from God to tell you what step two is. What's step two? You've got to get baptized. We're going to pray for you. Your eyes are going to be opened. And then you're going to start preaching the gospel. Okay, I've reorganized my life. I've put everything on hold to fulfill God's purposes. Oh, I'm committed to this. I'm not going back to where I was, not to that life. I'm moving to another life, a better life. And thus started the journey of 20 years for the Apostle Paul. 20 years. My goodness, he goes into the wilderness for years to hear visions and purposes from, I mean, after all that, you sort of think that God had sent him on the missionary journey. No, it took him years to get there, just in the wilderness. I was talking to someone before the service, and he says, I just went past the church, and there was a big billboard at the front, and says, before the promised land, there is always a wilderness. How many of you discovered that? How many of you discovered that sometimes you just got to go into the wilderness where God speaks to you, where God deals with you, where God really finds out if you are committed to reorganizing your life to follow his purposes or whether you just want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, from blessing to blessing, or you're willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads, whatever the cost, whatever the price, to say, God, I, I, I've, I've decided to reorganize my life, not to do my will, but to do your will. And so that's the introduction to the Apostle Paul. But 20 years later, he's able to write to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and he's able to say, Hey, Timothy, from that first moment on the road to Damascus, I, 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 I've, I have finished the race that he set before me. Yeah, every moment of every day, I've said, Lord, not my will, but your will. And now 20 years later, Timothy, I've finished the race. I've fought the fight. 
I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me the crown that he has set aside for all those that have not done their will, but have done his will. Does that resonate with your spirit? Does the spirit within you say, yes, that's what I want for my life. Not my will, but his will. Not to do what, what I want to do, but what he wants me to do. And folks, can I just say to you that decision making becomes really, really, really easy when you take that as your philosophy. I really believe that 99.9% .9 of your decisions become easier when you have a strong moral foundation and are committed to fulfilling God's purposes for your life. Decisions become really easy because you say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what's the right thing to do? And all your decisions become easy. You don't sit there thinking, oh, should I do this or should I do that? Well, is it the right thing to do? Well, no, it's not. Well, then you've got your answer, haven't you? Is it what God wants you to do? No, but well, it's what I want to do. Well, you've got your answer, haven't you? If you want a better life, stick to what God wants you to do. So that brings us to chapter 16, because now Paul is doing his journey. He's already done his first missionary journey. Now he's on his second missionary journey. He was, he was preaching through Asia. And as he's continuing on his process through Asia, he gets a vision of this Macedonian man, which is now modern-day Greece. Macedonia, it's the northern part. Well, it, actually, the Macedonians hate it being called the northern part of Greece. Macedonians want to be called Macedonians, and Greeks want to be called Greeks. And, and so it's up there in Macedonia. Paul gets this vision, and, 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 and the Macedonian call says, please come and tell us about the way of salvation. So he goes there, and he begins to go to this town called Philippi, which is the main city of Macedonia, and there starts ministering to people ministers to a, a, a lady, a, a businesswoman called Lydia, leads her to Christ, and wonderful things starts happening. And then he has this encounter with a young lady who was a slave girl. The Bible doesn't give us her name. All we know is this. In those days, they had slaves. And this girl had a demon spirit that gave her psychic abilities. She was able to tell people's future, able to tell people what would happen to them. And so her masters actually made a lot of money through this particular gift that this girl had. But the fact is, the Bible tells us that it was a demon in her that gave her this ability. Now, what we know is this, is that there's always a price to pay when a demon is inside someone's life. And the price is the torment and the tearing away and the nightmares and the fear and the intimidation. And so, yeah, on the surface, this girl had this ability, but beneath the surface, here she is in torment. And after days of pursuing Paul, you know, is proclaiming, these men come here from God to tell us the way of salvation. Paul got one of the gifts of the Spirit called the discerning of spirits. How many of you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible tells us about the nine gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of the discerning of spirits. And what this gift is, it actually pulls the mask off to see what's motivating a spiritual manifestation. Is it the flesh? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it a demonic spirit? 
And so Paul, through this gift of the discernment of spirits, when he pulled the mask off, he saw this girl is being motivated by a demonic spirit. And so as a man of God, what he did was that he, in the name of Jesus, rebuked that demonic spirit, commanded it to go, and that demonic spirit left that girl. And her life immediately became better. Why is that? Because she was not under torment anymore. But what happened as well is that she was not able to operate fortune telling and telling people's future. The whole psychic thing just left her and she just became normal. Much to the dismay of her owners that were making lots of dosh out of the demonic spirit. So they get upset with Paul and Silas, beat them up, throw them into jail. And the Bible tells us that they beat them up really bad with lots of stripes. In other words, they got whips out and whipped them so that their body was left with stripes on them. How many of you think this is not a cool thing to happen to a man of God? How many of you think that there might be some complaint letters to God based on the way you were treated while serving Him? How many of you think that that's the case? But not Paul and Silas. They weren't busy in jail writing complaint letters to God. Here I am serving you. Here I am. I've sacrificed so much to serve you. And now they beat me up. And now they've done all terrible things. And all we did was set someone free from a demonic spirit. God, this is not fair. (laughs) Not Paul and Silas. They're in jail. Then sings my soul my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. As their stripes are bleeding, as their sores are bleeding, they're locked in stocks in the depths of the prison, not complaining but worshiping God. What is this? Who are these people? That's exactly what everybody said. That's exactly what all the prisoners were saying. Who are these people? Why, why, why aren't they complaining? Why aren't they swearing? Why aren't they cursing? Oh, because these people are from another world. That's why. These people made a decision a long, long time ago that this is only the introduction to the real world. And so when this world persecuted them, their whole attitude is, oh, God, <laughs> we're journeying my grandfather used to sing this old hymn in italian all the time i remember it as a little kid your viaggio per la città del cielo interpreted it means i'm journeying to the celestial city el signore mi accompagnerà and the lord will accompany me Non mi importa quel che il mondo mi dice. I'm not concerned about what this world says. Io so che il Signore è con me. I know that the Lord is with me. What a beautiful, what a beautiful attitude to life. How beautiful, how beautiful is that when we understand that we are pilgrims journeying through this life. And that everything that happens to us is not the end. And so they were able to praise God in their prison. 
Can you praise God in your prison? Or do you shake your fist at God and blame God? See, you shake your fist and blame God when your whole, whole world is this world. But when your world is the next world, you say, God, it won't be long and I'll see you face to face. Oh God, in this world, there is pain. There is trial. There is tribulation, but it's only preparation for the next world. And that's where I'm journeying. That's where I'm going. That's where my home is. Oh, here I have temporary lodgings. But there he's preparing a mansion for me. That steal, that thief cannot steal, that moth cannot eat, that, that, that nothing can destroy. It's something that he's prepared for me. See, that was the philosophy. And Silas. And so, so what happens in the middle of this, the jailer, he, you know, there's an earthquake. I just love the fact that, you know, God just enjoyed their singing so much that uh, any musician, when there's good music, you know what happens? They start to tap their foot. How many of you noticed that? When the music's happening, all musicians are tapping their feet. When Paul and Silas were singing, God started tapping his foot and a big earthquake hits the world. Bigger, when God taps his foot, earthquakes happen. And, and the earthquake just opened the prison doors. The chains fell off and, and uh, darkness in the place. And the jailer's thinking, oh, no, I'm, I, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I was given custody over these people. And now look what's happened. They've, they've all run away. And Paul, and Paul says, no, no, we haven't run away. We're still here. Well, why are you still here? What type of people are these? People that sing in the midst of their trial and when they could run, they don't. What sort of people are these? People that every decision they make saying, God, what's your will in this? Do you have a divine appointment for me right here in this prison house? And in actual fact, that's exactly what God had for Paul and Silas. An appointment right there in the prison. When the jailer saw this, he realized that he was lost. He realized that his life was a mess. He had the realization something happened to him. His eyes were opened and he began to realize this is where I'm at. And so he, he, he says, what must I do? And then he got the revelation, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only will you be saved, but your whole family will be saved. All of a sudden, the jailer got the revelation of the better life. All of a sudden, the jailer got the revelation, not only of the better life for him, but the better life for his wife, the better life for his children. And so he started to reorganize himself to pursue the revelation of the better life. And he pulled, actually brought, him, brought Paul and Silas to his home began to wash them, began to cleanse them, began to minister. This was unheard of for, for jailers to do that to their prisoners. So he's ministering, he's serving, he's totally reorganized his life to pursue the divine revelation. And that night, he and his whole family got baptized and an incredible feast happened and that jailer lived to see his life better. I want to finish today. Just by, just by summing up this whole thing, that if you want to live a better life and find a better life, step number one is get a realization of where you're really at. 
Because if you want it better, you've got to realize that what you have isn't better. If you don't realize that what you have isn't better, then why would you want better? If you think that what you have is better, then you stick with what you have. But when you realize, no, what I've got isn't better, then get a revelation of what the better looks like. And so you, you can't move out of where you are unless you see where you can be. And that's what this word is all about, is to reveal to us what we can be and where we can be. And so when you start reading this book, revelation will come. Revelation of God's purposes, revelation of God's will, revelation of the better life. It's here. It's the word of God. It's sharper and active than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It is powerful. Don't ignore it. Don't leave it on a shelf to collect dust when this is filled with revelations for your better life. Oh, friends, can you see it? That you just don't move unless you get a realization. And then you don't know where to move to unless you get a revelation. And God's in the business of giving you revelation. And then all you've got to do is start to reorganize your life. So that you can move from realization to revelation. How do I get from here to there? Well, I've got to reorganize something. I've got to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I've got to start making some decisions. Nothing changes unless you make decisions. God, would you help me? Yes. Don't you know? That I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. The greatest revelation that we can have is the revelation of Jesus. Why don't you come, Dan, and just start playing one of those old hymns. The revelation of Jesus. Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. Can you get a revelation of Jesus filled with compassion and mercy and love today? Can you get a revelation of Jesus who's not an angry Jesus condemning you? There's no spirit of condemnation. It's, oh, there's conviction, but conviction is with love to give you a better life. Can you see Jesus today as the good shepherd? He's seeking. Where's that lost lamb? Where is that lost one? I'm, I'm seeking. I'm, I'm looking. Why? So I can give him a better life. So I can take that little lost one, put him on my shoulders and take him to the sheepfold where they're protected and loved and nurtured and fed and given a better life. Can you see the good shepherd today? He's looking for you. He's looking for you. The good shepherd looking for you. When he sees you caught in some thicket, caught amongst the thorns, he doesn't... Step over you and say, ha, serves you right. No, no, with compassion and love, he untangles you from your brokenness, picks you up, cleans the wounds, puts you on his shoulders, takes you home. See, that's the good shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the revelation that every single person needs. That's the revelation your friends need. 
That's the revelation that Paul got on the Damascus Road. It's the revelation that the jailer got on that night when he was ready to commit suicide. But someone came to him and said, there's a better life. There's a better way. And Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the father. He's the father that's broken over the lostness of his son. That when he sees him from a distance, runs after him, not with the finger of condemnation and saying, you rejected and rebelled, now you'll pay embraces, falls on his neck, weeps and cries and washes and cleanses. And says, come, we're going home. Get the, get the robe, get the sandals, get the ring, get the fatted calf, because that which is lost is now found. He's the Savior. Not only is he the shepherd and the father, but he's the Savior that actually finds where you've hit out. He finds your little hole where you've hidden out and away from God in, 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 in the tragedy of your, your little house and your little hole. He finds it and he's there knocking at the door saying, would you let me in? I found you. I found where you hold up. I found where you're hidden. But I've come to turn your life around. I've come to show you the better way. I've come to clean up the mess. Would you let me in? I found you, but would you let me in? And when you let him in, he comes and reorganizes everything to give you the better life. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 